I'm Rebecca, and we are Mama Bear Apologetics. Apologetics. We're just two gals talking about life's big questions from a biblical worldview. Because when it comes to the battle of ideas, we need to be able to say, mess with my kids and I will demolish your arguments. You mess, I demolish. Got it? Capiche? (laughs) (laughs) Rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. This might not affect your faith, but it might affect your children's. So Rebecca, you and I have been talking for for a good hour or so, and I've been trying to kind of think about how we can turn what we were talking into a podcast. And so you sent me a text yesterday, which I immediately responded to. Yeah. Of course. Uh, Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about the text you sent me? (sighs) I don't know if you can hear my cat purring. (laughs) Uh (laughs) She's in my lap right now. That's Um, therapy at all. (laughs) Yes, she knows. Well, she's always in my lap anyway. Um. Yeah, so I called yesterday really because I was just kind of, I was at the end of my rope, um, really stress-wise is really the best way to say it. So I'm prone to panic attacks. Well, actually, I was prone, and I haven't had them in a long, long time, but I had one yesterday, and I think it was largely a convergence of a lot of the stress that was going on yesterday, but it was also built up, and um, when you study panic attacks and kind of the physiology and the science behind them they're not ever anything that just comes out of the blue it's something that is um stress that has been building and i liken it to like um mount vesuvius i think mount vesuvius is you know there's those different categories of volcanoes there's the slow (laughs) leaks like the ones in hawaii and then there's the explosive ones well i'm definitely an explosive one um, I build, I hold things in, hold it, hold it, hold it, and then it just explodes. And how it explodes with me is in just, just major panic and anxiety and, and then usually just depression pretty quickly. Yeah. And that's what happened yesterday. And really, I think kind of what you would call the, the last straw or the icing on the cake was mm-hmm. I was in an interaction online with a very dear friend that I, I just, I love her. She's a precious person and, um, a wonderful person, but she's an atheist and she's very passionate about her atheism. And um, we were interacting online and then another atheist guy comes on that I'm not so familiar with and he was pretty rude. (laughs) And, you know, I'm a woman and I'm like definitely very feminine. I'm very sensitive. Um, And not that there aren't men that are sensitive, but in general, Women tend to be more sensitive. And I agree. There are definitely, there are exceptions. But just that kind of confrontation just really wears on me. And I think most women it does. And I think we were talking about that. You were telling me this would be a great thing to share because we have both talked about how, why do, do women um, sort of shut down when you start talking apologetics? And a lot of it is because it's men talking and they're typically talking in a very confrontational style because mm-hmm. men are that way. They're warriors. And, and it's, <laughs> which there's nothing wrong with that. No. There's a place for warriors. The hand that I can't say to the hand, right? That's so right. there's a place and I love that we have those warriors, but they associate, um, apologetics with warring and debating and like Dr. Craig debates, although Dr. Craig is not like a He's not like a William Wallace. He's like the most. He's like the most genteel. Yeah, 
kind of yeah. gentleman you know it's like i don't know why he's not like sipping brandy during every but he's, <laughs> during every he's intellectually like a brave heart intellectually he's ferocious a William, intellectually he's ferocious yeah. and and women we are more sensitive and pick up on that and i you know i i won't say i'm as smart as dr craig but i'm i'm not an idiot and you know i i did very well in my biochemistry degree and and so i can follow him but i would never get up and ask a question at an apologetics event or anything and and i think one of the reasons why is that's that, how i snagged john uh, I'm totally ser- i'm totally serious our first date was a william lane craig conference and uh, john will still go back to did some you ask question. a question to dr craig? i asked I apparently asked a really intelligent question that made John fall in love with me. So you, there you go. <laughs> you are just, well, see, that's why you're my friend, because I love women like that because you're rare. Most women wouldn't do that, and I'm not that way. I mean, I was so intimidated by my professors at school, even though I was one of the top students. And that was just, I think it's just, we're just, we don't like confrontation, and, um, and we just associate you know, sort of intellectual debates and stuff with confrontation. We, we immediately get emotional about it, and it's really yeah. good not to, um, but we do because we just tend to be more emotional. So, yeah. um, and, and yesterday the, the interaction with my friend wasn't emotional, but it was very tiring, and it came yeah. at a time when I was already pretty worn out. I had a very stressful semester, two semesters of school, and... Um, I'm a perfectionist, put a lot of pressure on myself anyway, but. And you hadn't slept, which right there, <laughs> I mean, coming from someone who struggles with insomnia, yeah. it's amazing how, and I say this sort of tongue in cheek, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit just kind of shows up when I've had a really good night's rest. And for some reason, the Holy Spirit just isn't with me sometimes when I've had really bad insomnia. And I say that sort of joking, but sort of not that sometimes it feels like that's how it is. It's like I like God and I are just thick as thieves and I'm praising him after I've had a really good night's rest and I'm I have energy and the days that I just don't have energy it's mm-hmm. like woe is me I'm in the depths of depression and well I think <laughs> and that, I can't see God anywhere well and I think that is a whole argument for the resurrection because we're just so much more than just our souls and our minds yeah they're inextricably linked to our bodies and affected yeah. by it and and I remember when we were actually reading through one of Dr. Craig's children's books with one of our daughters. It was God is spirit. And it was this idea that, and he mentioned, you know, when we die, we are spirit with God. And she said, she got very, actually very upset and said, but I don't want to be without my body. And I'm like, well, that's, Amen. We don't. That's why the resurrection's so good. Yeah, that is. It's like that. The resurrection's when we get to be reunited with our bodies, and but so, a better version, one that doesn't have all the problems. Doesn't has. doesn't have insomnia or can go without sleep and be okay. And yeah, so That's you're right. right. So we have to. And and I think many apologists realize this, but for women. I, I just I think that's maybe one reason why women shy away from apologetics because they automatically assume fighting yeah and and not fighting in like a boxer ring but still fighting and tension and we don't we like we we don't like conflict we like relational things yeah so and that's uh and and while we were talking of course my brain was just going i was you know uh you know thank god for facetime that we can call and we can look each other in the eye and i was just looking at the tears in your eyes and of course the counselor and me is just saying you know what can i say what can i say (laughs) and i started thinking i was like you know what Praise God, we have a perfect 
we have a perfect podcast just set up for us right here because um, I think this is something that a lot of women deal with, uh, just the anxiety that comes from the conflict that they perceive is going to happen from apologetics. And so I thought that's something that's really worth diving into because I bet you, I wonder how many women there are out there who stay away from apologetics specifically because they want to avoid this idea of confrontation, which is what they've seen, probably because it's a lot of men out there, which, hello for all the women listening, this is why we need women in apologetics, mm-hmm. because there is so much more to apologetics than just conflicts and fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, can I tell you that that is the very unique thing that women can bring in and, and is lacking, because our Braveheart men, they get in there and they start fighting when it's needed but sometimes when it's not sometimes when it's not needed like the proverb uh, a gentle word turns away wrath and you've absolutely. really got to be able to get in there and not only just you've got to be sensitive and i mm-hmm. think even more so today because we live in a culture that like you know feminists will hate this but and, and i don't necessarily <laughs> like it either i hate it i hate it when i hear men say it because it's so derogatory but they say it's a very feminized culture but in a way they're right it's it's what C.S. Lewis wrote about in Abolition of Man. We are in a culture that's very feelings-oriented. Well, not necessarily very feelings-oriented. There's a dichotomy between our feelings and our reason. Mm-hmm. And um, and a lot of that has to do with naturalism, materialism. And, and C.S. Lewis talks a lot about this in Abolition of Man. And I can link my paper that I wrote up yeah, to the be thing because it really has to do with what's going on college campuses right now. But I think it's happening at the culture at large. And I see it in many of my friends and in myself. But yeah. it's this idea that we our reason is not our reason is just relegated to the sciences and hard facts. And all the relational stuff and all that is very postmodern and very whatever is okay with you, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But there's no sort of guiding principle to them. And so they're just out of control. And so that's what makes when people say it's feminized, that means it's very emotional. Yeah. Um, I like the word emotional better because I think that that does not get women off the hook for being reasonable as well. And that doesn't get men off the hook of being emotional. Um, Well, I'd like to point out something that I think a lot of times you're going to get a very feminized culture when the male part of the culture has abused its I don't want to say authority, but it's it's kind of the power yeah, and kind of the authority. warrior. Yeah. When that's been abused, then you start having, that's when the feminizing comes in because people are revolting against the abuse of the legitimate expression of masculinity. Or it, and, the legitimate, but then the illegitimate, yeah, parts of mm-hmm. it, yeah. Yeah, the illegitimate parts that come in, you know, because you do need that balance. That's that's the beautiful part about male and female is that balance. And and again, we don't want to pigeonhole anyone because I, I know couples where the girl is much more like a dude and the guy is much more like a and girl. And that's fine, yeah. And that's fine because We're it, talking it's kind broadly. of funny. They still find each other, which is funny. But it's like, but yeah, it's talking very broadly. And so, um yeah, just women need to get involved in apologetics because it's honestly like I, I call it the Lord of the Flies syndrome. You get a bunch of guys <laughs> together, you get Lord of the Flies. That's there what were happens. No girls in Lord of the Flies. By the way, I love that book. And Simon was my favorite. And I was going to name him my our first son Simon. <laughs> if we had oh, a son, we had girls. Cute. But I always oh I loved him, and I was so sad. But I love that book. But I forgot that it's all boys. Yeah, <laughs> but and, you and know I, what? I tell you, women. 
We'd have our own Lord of the Flies situation. It We'd would have our own very situation. Interesting. Someone needs to write that book. <laughs> yeah, that would be an interesting book. Um, but yeah, so anyway, that's just like kind of what I've seen apologetics becoming is sort of that Lord of the Flies. And so, um, so anyway, bringing this back to when you and I were having a conversation uh, just now, I was taking notes saying, okay, how can I, how can I form this into a podcast? And so I wanted to talk about the five different people Okay. That uh, that apologetics is really for and how a lot of times women shy away from apologetics because of just one of these types. <laughs> the loudest one, right? The loudest <laughs> the most one, exactly. No, I shouldn't say obnoxious, <laughs> but yes. Uh, so it's just one of these, one. yeah, the most aggressive. Just <clears throat> one of these types is the reason why I think women a lot of times, and just people in general, shy away from apologetics. But I want to talk about all five of them and then maybe kind of talk about some tips on dealing with that one group that's kind of difficult to deal with. So um, I started out saying children, seekers, and doubters, and then I switched it to, because I'm like, children can really be any of those. So I changed it to uh, learners, seekers, and doubters. And so those are the three kind of categories right there. And then I think after those three, it, it kind of bifurcates into two main groups, and you're going to have the hardened doubters, mm. or you're going to have the believers. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So we've got the learners, the seekers, the doubters, the hardened doubters, and the believers. And so it's kind of like, think of those first three groups on top, and it kind of, it, it creates one of those two uh, final types of people. Um, so learners, seekers, and doubters, children can really be all three of those. I mean, sometimes at the same time, and, and, and even us, in every stage of our Christian walk, will probably go back to one of those stages right there. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about what apologetics looks like for the learner, the seeker, and the doubter. And then we're going to talk a little bit about what apologetics looks like for the hardened doubters versus the believers, because it's like apologetics is going to be very different for all of those. And, and can, each- would you even say that the hardened doubters can be split into another group for the hardened doubters that are maybe just apathetic and then the hardened mm-hmm. doubters that are angry? Yeah, actually, that's a very good point. <laughs> that's a very because good point. Because the apathetic people are, are a little bit easier to deal with, although they, mm-hmm. they that's their own challenge because they're just apathetic and it's like it's very hard to get them interested. But the, the angry ones are are the ones that I think there's anger or passion. You know, they, yeah. they doubt and then they've decided that Christianity is evil and they've got to stop it. Yeah, that, that that's a very good point because a lot of times, yeah, the apathetic ones um, – they just, they're kind of the live and let live type people mm-hmm. and can be actually very And there, very there are some hardened atheists that are that way and they can be your best friend, right? And yeah. like some of my favorite writers, current writers are that way. Theodore Dalrymple is one of them that he comes across like just very kind of a, he has, he appreciates Christianity, but he's not going to believe in it. Um, but he's not angry. Yeah. You know? Well, actually that kind of goes back to just uh, marriage counseling in general that um, I've heard about in marriage counseling, it's like sometimes when that conflict stops is actually when they're in the most dangerous position of all, because yeah. it's like, you kind of have to still have passion in order to fight against. And once oh, you Chesterton stop, would say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the apathetic are like the diluted ones, you know, they're, they're diluted, like you dilute a, a solution of like lemonade, right? A, yeah. Yeah. And that's not good. Yeah. Well, I think of like, there's a, there's a girl that I knew from high school that, um, she married another guy that I knew from high school and she did not do right by him. And I, I remember kind of hearing stories just cause I have several friends that are either friends or siblings of one of the two of them. 
But she kind of got to the point where she was like, she just didn't fight at all. She was like, you can see other people if you want. And oh. she was just, yeah, oh. it was it was a bad situation. Yeah. And she she did not, I, I place, I'm, I can't really say who's in the wrong, but from her attitude, he was willing, he wanted to fight for it. Um, wow. But, yeah. but her, she just completely shut down. Anyway, so it's like that. The people that are passionate are at least still interacting with the idea. The people that are apathetic have stopped interacting with the idea. And that's actually a more dangerous place to be. And it's more pleasant, yeah. but it's more dangerous. They're more pleasant to be around and, and they don't cause you to stress as much. <laughs> they don't cause you to have panic attacks. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> yeah, but they're harder. They're harder in, yeah. in so many ways. That's why I my, my passionate atheist friends, I still love them and I hang in there with them and I interact with them when I can and yeah. when I'm you can take it because I, I honestly I see of honesty in them um, there is an honesty there because yeah. they're still well most of them there's some of them that I can see their honesty turns into a dis, dishonest pursuit but we're getting ahead of ourselves let's let's go back to the first three categories the learners the seekers and the doubters these these groups right here honestly and since since children can kind of um, be in any one of these groups, this is where I really want to see women get involved in apologetics. Mm -hmm. The learners are the ones that have no paradigm to start with. Yeah. Uh, They're they're the ones that are, they're what? They're open. Yeah, they're very, very open. Tabula Um, rasa. They're blank slate in some ways. Yeah, tabula rasa. I like that. Uh Um, Yeah, they're blank slates and pretty much what's kind of going on during the learning phase is they're starting to just uh, take, um, take what's the word, uh, account of like the evidence for and the evidence against. And this is actually a really important time to be solidifying that there's evidence for yeah. Uh, yeah. this right here. The learners and the seekers are slightly different because the learners aren't even maybe sometimes aware that they're learning or they're just learning about everything all at once, kind of like a child. It's like they're like sponges. They're just taking everything in. Someone who's seeking is someone who understands that there are different perspectives. A learner may not even be aware of all the different perspectives. They're kind of just taking everything at face value. A seeker is someone who says, okay, there are differences here and I am actively seeking to see which one is true. Yeah. Um, these are the people, both the learners and the seekers right there are great to, uh, to, to work with because yeah, <sighs> they re- they're the ones who really will go where the evidence leads. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's so. And they ask really probing questions and you want to encourage them to ask questions. Absolutely. And that's maybe yeah. one thing you want to be, be sure they're just not, you know, swallowing everything. You want to encourage them to ask questions like, like, um, our friend Natasha Crane, um, had a blog post about, you know, every week asking your children, okay, what's your biggest question about God right mm-hmm. now? I think that's yeah. really wonderful. Encourage them to ask questions and really think deeply about things. Um, yeah, because turn like probably one of our big goals is to turn our children from just a learner into a seeker because mm-hmm. those are different. One of them is very intentional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but like you said, just um, learning how to think critically mm-hmm. and to spit out, you know, the chew and spit method, you know, take in everything, figure out what's good and worth swallowing and spit out the stuff that isn't. And and I, I have to stress too, something that is needed more in the apologetics community that women will struggle with too is, is if 
we are able to get more of them involved is just humility too. Yeah. And so all of this needs to be a big dose of humility in there. Absolutely. So, and epistemic humility, right? To know, not complete, like where you can't know nothing, but to mm-hmm. know, you know, what are the limits? And, um, you know, um, these are some of the different ways people have tried to answer and, you know, offer the options on, you know, some very complex things like, you know, creation, evolution and all that. But, um, but yeah, have, have humility too when you present them, not as if this is the answer, <laughs> you know? Yes, I see like, absolutely. I, I see that especially, and I say that just because I see that like in the creation evolution thing. It's like young earth yeah. is the answer. So we will teach you all the apologetic answers for young earth mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, or even, you know, old earth. And, and personally for me, I'm agnostic, although, you know, I tend toward what the science says, but I also know that science is, is limited. Um, mm-hmm. but all of it is sprinkled with humility. Yeah. And won't, won't you explain that phrase real quick, just for people, what is epistemic humility as opposed to just regular humility? Well, I would say epistemic humility is, um, and, and you can correct me on this, but, what we can know and what we can't know and what are areas that we start getting into some gray areas and we have questions and just how we know in fact that was one of the things we know yeah uh that i i read in um in some of the books that talk about why uh reasons young people are leaving the church and one of the big turnoffs was just how absolutely certain people were about all these answers. Because what happens yeah. is if you present things as this is the way and the only way. Yeah, I see this in the the whole Calvinism thing, yeah. too, where it's like you have to have all these things. Like you have to you have to have all this stuff about something is just mind blowing as God's sovereignty in in order before you're actually saved and i'm like how can anyone be saved you know yeah and it's the same no one's thing gonna with understand that creation fully. thing um you know there so having oh sorry oh, go ahead yeah i was just gonna say so having humility about how certain we are about some things yeah is extremely important for the learners and the seekers because we can't ever guarantee that we're going to be a hundred percent correct but if we present ourselves that we're sure that we're a hundred percent correct the moment that they start finding things that maybe we aren't correct on or they see a different perspective on, that lends doubt to everything we say. Yeah. Versus if we had approached it as, this is what I believe, this is why I believe it, here are some other things that other people say, these are the reasons why I have my belief over those beliefs, mm-hmm. that's that's a more humble and, position. And what, and, and, and what you just said is like, when we tell them it's this way and then they learn that maybe it's not and they begin to doubt everything, mm-hmm. well, they're wrong to do that. But they necess- they haven't necessarily, especially as children with parents, they haven't had it modeled to them by their parents that we can believe some things that someone says and then know that maybe in some areas we may disagree with them. You know, it's parents yeah. take this taking this all or nothing at all approach and we teach it to our children and well, kids, and, kids just come out of the shoot all or nothing. It, it, it's not until, golly, late teens, maybe 20s that they start understanding gray well, areas. And they have to just, they have to have it consistently modeled. And not that we don't take doctrine seriously and we don't, certain areas are just non-negotiables. It's not like being loosey-goosey on anything. It's just having some humility and being able to discern and, and really having a, a loving sort of mercy for people. Um, 
that differ on on maybe some of the more like you said like the gray areas yeah so I would place if I were to place apologetics maybe into three tiers like you know one being the lowest tier and three being you know expert mode for the learners and the seekers this is something that I think every mom out there can aspire to because these aren't the learners and the seekers mm-hmm. um, they're going to have some tough tough questions but they're not necessarily always looking and trying to find discrepancies yeah they're 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 kind of learning uh what do i actually believe in the first place and so they're they've got some of the most honest evaluation and most gracious interpretation yeah. <laughs> um yeah. out of any group that we have and since that's where most of our children are going to be yeah this is why I want to get moms involved in apologetics, because basically if we can get the, the kids at this level, at the learner and the seeker stage, we never have to deal with, I mean, we're always going to deal with the doubters, but we're not going to deal with the hardened doubters, Yeah, you know, g- God willing, if we deal with some of these questions at the beginning. Now, granted, it's a whole other podcast for different reasons that people doubt that may be absolutely nothing to do with intellectual questions. Right. And that's... There's, you know, there's several different types of doubt and only one of those is going to be intellectual. But hopefully we're going to be giving them a foundation um, for the the learners and the seekers. So let's go on to the the third level uh, or the third group, which would be maybe level two apologetics, the doubters. Okay. The doubters would be people that have now started to maybe recognize that some of the things that they've said, they've heard taught to them before. Um, maybe isn't as black and white as they thought. A lot of times I think the doubters can come from when you've had people that weren't mm-hmm. epistemically hum- uh, humble in their approach and they've been told that something is black and white and then they see a gray area and they're saying, uh, what do I do with this gray area over here? And it rocks their whole faith, yeah. It absolutely rocks Oh, I've rocks been one of those faith. people, yeah. 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 Um, and so for the doubters, this is like, uh, again, doubt doesn't need to be something that we um, are afraid of necessarily. Doubt can actually bring you into such sweet fellowship with the Lord because mm-hmm. that's when you're wrestling with the con position. It's like the learners and the seekers, they deal mostly with the pro position. The doubters are seeing, okay, I'm seeing a lot of con positions. How do I answer some of these questions and by the way um, that's why i always ask atheists if they ever doubt their doubts <laughs> because it's <laughs> when they start doubting their doubts that they start looking really really honestly looking at the pro positions yeah um pro christianity positions and and i it, i just was re I, I think of doubting the doubts i just read chesterton and <laughs> he he said that he began doubting the doubts he actually he doubted the doubts by reading atheists interesting but but that's what moved him to start really looking at christianity more clearly there's another philosopher named ed Fazer who was just a very highly trained philosopher phd very atheistic and he went to teach his children his children his students in college aquinas and he thought okay Uh well i studied aquinas he thought he had studied aquinas in college right very dismissively as an atheist and like his atheistic professors. But he said, okay, he honestly said, well, I've got to really study him to be able to teach him thoroughly to these children, to these kids, for them to see how wrong he is. And when he started really (laughs) studying him, he was like, oh my gosh, I never knew this. I wasn't taught this. I didn't see this. It was like all of a sudden he had eyes to see and he eventually became a believer. (laughs) So it led him to doubt his doubts because he really was considering the arguments 
from a, a, like you said, like when a Christian is doubting, they're really looking at those con positions. Mm-hmm. Well, when an atheist is doubting, they're really honestly looking at those pro positions. It's all of a sudden, it's a crisis. And Yeah. yeah. So I, I think that's an excellent point, how doubt can actually be... Um, God can use it, it can, for good. I wouldn't say it's a good thing. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. not fun, but God can use it. Yeah, yeah, I think he can use it for good. Um, and it's one of those things where I think doubt can kind of rock your world. And it depends on what your world is at the moment. If your world is yeah. marching on its way towards Christ, doubt maybe, you know, can can really be a bad thing. But for some people who have been marching on their way in atheism yeah all of a sudden they have something that causes them to doubt their whole worldview it's like wow this is the best That's, thing ever because <laughs> it yeah. just it may, makes you question everything and it, it actually puts them back into the position of either seeker or doubter right mm-hmm. which from there it's 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 almost like resetting a bone yeah you have to go back to this broken position and then it can either get set right or it could get set badly and if it gets set badly it's like Believe me, when you've had an injury that hasn't healed, it stays with you. Oh, good grief. Yeah, they talk about like um, for broken bones, when it heals wrong, uh, there's all sorts of other places that are really in danger at that point because that spot that it broke is now so strong. But if it's strong in the wrong spot, it can actually cause breaks or stress fractures in the areas around it that, you know, or it's kind of um, just morphologically unstable. Because our bodies are so designed to be like stable in a certain way yeah no Mm -hmm. I totally believe that as a former ballerina who (laughs) allowed some injuries to not totally heal (laughs) correctly Uh, that I still have problems so yeah yeah. and and so like that having that period of doubt like depending on if you had already grown wrong or if Mm -hmm. you were growing right it can you know re-breaking or re-injuring an injury can sometimes be be good it's kind of like you know joking i think there's some movie i can't remember what it was it's like some guy punches another guy and all of a sudden his like nose looks way better mm-hmm. <laughs> let's talk about the fourth and fifth category and of course um the fourth and fifth category it's going to be the group uh that goes the hardened doubters and the believers um okay what does apologetics look like for both of those um i'll do the easy one first which would be the believers for the believer, um, one of the things that drives me nuts when when we talk to some people about what, you know, John and I do is this is, I think we addressed this in the first podcast, uh, well, if you knew everything, then we, you wouldn't need faith. Um, so I just want to discuss a little bit about what faith is here. It's uh, being certain of what you hope for. Wait, sure. No, sorry. Sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. And can I say, too, that... You know, it's one of those things where lang- lang- our language is loosey-goosey, but also it, it there's kind of a spectrum, right? I mean, yeah, there are the fideists and there are the children who really don't know all these apologetic arguments, but they have a faith in God. Now, it's not, it's not like theirs isn't dependent not on evidence. Maybe they have even better evidence than we do because mm-hmm. they have more humble hearts and, well, humble in the sense of um, authority, you know, they, and just to remind people, a fideist is someone who believes in faith alone. Faith and alone. And they kind of, yeah. they can reject some of the intellectual arguments. I just wanted to throw that I, out there. I don't want to say that that they can't be saved or whatever. Oh, no, that's absolutely or, not yeah, what we're saying. Yeah, and there's saying. not a place for it. There's a spectrum. No. But it's usually when atheists are being dismissive and stuff, they're using, like, they're not using your definition that you gave. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, but it's like the... 
it's like I have no problem with um, people who really are faith alone, but when they say that all anything intellectual is like taking away from faith, yeah, I say no. Anything that makes you more certain and more sure, by definition of scripture, increases your faith, right? And so, what what relationship? What um, you know, whether that's with your husband or with your stockbroker or with uh, the, the person that's teaching your children. <laughs> What relationship out there, when you start to have evidence that they're doing a good job or that they're they're trustworthy, which one of those doesn't increase your faith in them? Mm-hmm. So for believers, the, the role of apologetics mm-hmm. is basically just putting them on a more sure foundation, preferably for the purpose of them now going out and finding their own learners and seekers and doubters to be sharing their, their sure faith and the reasons for their faith. And, I mean, that's our and, first people, th- first Peter three fifteen. And can I say that I think that some people honestly see some things in the apologetics community where people let these arguments sort of <sighs> puff them up. I can I say yeah. faith can puff you up, but 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 these arguments puff you up. The arguments should be exact. Do do what. Do to you what happened to me when I was, and and you too, but when I was working in the lab and I was going in every day and I was contending Mm. with these tiny, you know, microscopic little micron-sized proteins, I was humbled. I was learning, and I was learning a lot about them and their structure and their complexity, and a lot of knowledge was being put into my head, but every bit of that knowledge was was reminding me how amazing the system is. I was in awe and I, and how much I have yet to learn and how much I don't know. And that's what apologetics should ultimately be doing in us. It's creating the sense of how awesome is our God. Yes. You know, these are, this is a, it's definitely a firm foundation, but it's just a foundation. It points Mm -hmm. up to the heavens and beyond and, and just like what, what science should be doing for people, not like Maybe. Well, yeah. I think Richard Dawkins and, maybe does that, but he turns it off, you know. But it should yeah. be increasing that sort of realization, that humility in us. And Honestly, if your knowledge is puffing you up, then I don't think you get what you think you get. <laughs> right. It's not the gospel, right? Yeah. It's not the gospel. If your knowledge is puffing you up... You, I'm not sure what you think you're understanding, but it's 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 not scripture. But I think that's what I in my own experience when I've run into this, and I have definitely run into this when I have when I, especially when I was struggling with doubt and I was frustrated. The churches and this like a particular church I was in was just didn't seem to really understand the value of apologetics. Mm-hmm. Their resistance was that. Well, those are just arguments and Jesus is a person and you need a relationship and, you know, you're just going to become all heady and, you know, and at the time I really resented it. But as I've gotten deeper in the apologetics community, I have seen that happen and I've seen it potentially happen in my own heart. I know C.S. Lewis, it was C.S. Lewis was worried about it. It was something he was sensitive to because he had that puffing up when he wasn't a Christian. So he kind of took that into his Christianity and like you at know, that th- point it's just a personality trait that you'll bring in with you whether you're a christian or not <laughs> yeah and so but i think people on see that and they honestly associate that with the whole community and yeah. one reason why i'm so thankful i'm at houston baptist university is that i see a, a sensitivity toward that partly yeah. because of their um um emphasis on c.s lewis because since c.s lewis was very sensitive to that you wouldn't know that I, that's something i've just learned but he was actually pretty sensitive to it. He has this um, um, really great poem called The Apologist's Evening Prayer. And um, mm. I think what he what happened is he was very puffed up as an atheist. And then he was humbled. 
And then he was very sensitive to getting puffed up as a Christian then, going from yeah. one set of arguments to another. And so he actually wrote about that a lot. And and so I have been made aware of that as well. And so I can, I can see why some people would be resistant. They're not being fair by characterizing the whole community that way, but um, it, it can be a problem. Yeah. And I think that's... That is something that women can bring in, too, because we tend to be a little bit more sensitive to stuff like that maybe than men do. Yeah, I, I, I think we are. And um, I don't think we're going to have time to get into the last group, the hardened doubters. Maybe we'll we'll uh, stop this and do just do a kind of a part two to talk about the hardened doubters, because I really do think they deserve um a fair amount of time because that's that's going to be the most difficult group to deal with. But uh, just while you said that, I went and looked up real quick uh, the C.S. Lewis um, uh-huh. uh, from the Apologist Evening Prayer. So I thought we'd just end with that. I'd be wonderful. From all my lame defeats and oh, much more. From all the victories that I seem to score. From cleverness shot forth on thy behalf. At which angels weep, the audience laugh. From all my proofs of thy divinity. Thou who wouldst give no sign, deliver me. Thoughts are but coins. Let me not trust instead of thee, their thin-born image on thy head. From all my thoughts, even from my thoughts of thee, O thou fair silence, fall and set me free. Lord of the narrow gate and the needle's eye, take from me all my trumpetry, lest I die. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. So it's talking about, uh, you know, my defeats, the victories that I scored, how clever I am. Ugh. And I fall and, into that. I love oh, to be gosh, witty. Just, I mean, <laughs> I feel like Elizabeth Bennet so many times, yeah. and oh. women will know that from the Jane Austen. You know how witty <laughs> she was, and or even worse, Emma. Oh my goodness, if you've ever read Emma by Jane Austen, oh, she was witty. Yeah. Far one too many times at the sake of some innocent people and hurt them deeply. And yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, what we shouldn't aim for. So, um, again, we went through the the five different types of, uh, you know, people that apologetics would be aimed for. We have the learners, the seekers, the doubters, and from those three, you birth either the hardened doubters or the believers. And the hardened doubters, we decided, could be uh, also categorized into two groups, could be the apathetic ones and the angry ones. I think this will make a good blog post. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think it, I think it will. So let's go ahead and end here, and we'll uh, continue on in the next one uh, to give people a break uh, talking about the hardened doubters and Sounds what apologetics good. looks like for them and some tips for uh, engaging. Sounds great. Thank you. Okay, we'll see you in a second. This has been a Mama Bear Apologetics recording. To learn more about Mama Bear Apologetics, please visit us on the web at www.mamabearapologetics.com. Have you been stumped by your kids already? Or maybe you have a nagging question of your own that you think would make a good podcast. Send us an email to askthemamabears at gmail.com and we will do our best. Rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. We are all in this together.